It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring Miss Robin Frederick. Yeah. Oh, look at that. The audience took a beat and they clapped again. <laughs> and thank you, fake band. Thank you. Uh, hello, Robin. They're How so, are uh, you? Uh, it's good to see you. The band is so good today. <laughs> I know they're tight as yeah, ever. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I love that conductor. Um, hello. Let's say hi to the gang in the chat room. There they are. Hello, everybody. Who do we have? Ann House, Ben Niven, Bob Gunnerfeld, uh, Carl Wurzbach, Bob Pori, Tom Hoy, Jesse, Peck, Dean Turner, Sherry, Marcus Milano, Patrick Adams, Darren Fletcher, Michelle Patron, or Petron. Uh, I know Gary a lot Cox. of these folks. It's nice yeah. to see everybody. Hi, Bridget. Hi, everybody. I know. I know a lot of these folks. Mojo Bone, Peter nice Rayhill. Anyway, hi, guys Lusty, and yeah. gals. A little applause for you. For you guys, yeah. Here. yeah. Making it today. So we're going to do something we haven't done. I don't know that Robin and I have ever done this topic, but uh, it's top 10 songwriter mistakes, uh, top 10 mistakes songwriters make. And we were talking a little bit before the show. Um, we're both veterans of doing this sort of thing. And uh, as well as uh, my dear deceased friend, uh, John Brahaney, used to say to me, a lot of them make the same mistakes over and over. So um, in Robin's work outside of Taxi and her song coaching uh, life, she finds people making common mistakes. I've seen it for years, our screeners. So we're going to address those common mistakes today because you may get eight out of ten of these things right, but the two that you're getting wrong could be the things that are holding you back. So we're going to unhold you back. But before we do, and before Bria starts yelling, are you going to hold up my new sign? Because she made one. Oh, nice. Look at that. Yeah. There we go. Very now pro, very pro got, Bria. We, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I don't even know what you call that thing. An alert. Uh, make sure you click that. And you can spend a half an hour clicking all this stuff. Share it. That's the important one. It is, yeah. although I've read recently they say that it doesn't matter as much as it used to, but they're constantly oh, okay. changing that algorithm. Okay. Like us, because we're very insecure. We need all the likes we can get. <laughs> and finally, subscribe to the channel. It's really hard to do this in backwards. <laughs> subscribe to the channel. There you go. Um, okay. It can stop kicking me under the table now. She gets so embarrassed when I say that. They know I'm kidding. She doesn't actually kick me. It's <laughs> like psychic kicking. I know that she would if she could. You can feel me. it. You can feel yeah. it. Yeah, she's thinking it and you can feel it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, can you make it cooler, please? I don't think I even turned on the air today. It's been chilly here in Southern California. It's gotten down into the 40s. <laughs> you're evil yeah yep and if we don't have a fire to warm things up it gets well, really chilly at night don't anyway, ask don't yeah. ask okay <laughs> we had a little hanukkah celebration at our house last night it was amazing um how many of the families that were there were talking about the fire we were talking about this before we went mm. live on the show today and and some of the couples at our at our home last night for this party were talking about how their pool furniture got melted even though the fire didn't burn down their house it got close enough that it melted the plastic furniture out by the pool. Yeah. So yeah. really happy that it didn't destroy their homes and pool furniture 
So what? Yeah. You know? I, driving in today, I drove right through the blackened hillsides, and it came, went right down to the freeway and across the other side of the freeway. It didn't even stop it. You can literally see how it moved, you know? Yes, you can. I, yeah, I've it's come like so flowing like water. You can just yeah. see it coming down the hillsides and going across stuff, yeah. It really, it's fascinating. And, and once again, if I haven't said it on the show, not that I think that any of L.A. County's firefighters are watching necessarily, but you men and women from that are firefighters, Wow. Yeah, just everywhere. A, amazing work. And you can see how many places where the fire came right up to homes and they stopped it. Yeah. They would let it go until it couldn't go any farther, then drop Foscheck on it. Uh, right here in the hills of Calabasas, right before you get to the office, you could see a big red line of Foscheck. Man. Yeah. Good targeting. Absolutely. Okay, so on with the big show today. Uh, I did all my responsibilities, so we're good. So, uh, oh, I should have a drum roll. Oh, my little box of the drum roll died. Well, we so, can imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it died. We can imagine one, yeah. Um, Good. Okay, Excellent. so uh, what is number one? The oh, number okay. one mistake that songwriters make? Not knowing what you're writing about. Huh? That's the number one mistake. And people think they know what they're writing about. But well, because they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they know the story. Oh, I see. Actually, what, what's interesting is they may think they know what they're writing about, but the truth <laughs> is they don't. Um, what happens is you get, you know, well, this happened to all of us, okay? you get this wonderful line of inspiration, or two or three or four lines, yeah? Because that's the way most of us start our songs. We, we get an idea, and we go, oh, I love those lines. I'm going to put those down. Maybe that's my verse. I'm into my song. Here I go. And off you're, you're off, off and running. And at that point, if you don't stop and think about what do those lines mean, and usually we don't, we get these four lines that we love, and then we're going to write a, a verse, a, a, a chorus to go with them. So then you write a chorus that kind of relates to those lines that are in that verse, and you go, okay, there's a chorus, I got a chorus, and now I've got to write verse two. And then you really have to, at that point, you have to know what you're writing about because you cannot write verse two unless you know how to develop what you said in the first verse. So if you don't stop at the point that your inspiration gives you those opening lines and say, what are these about? What am I really talking about? What's my theme? What's my central core idea? What is it I'm trying to say? If you don't do that, if you just keep going on inspiration, Chances are the, the song that you write will not have any cohesiveness and listeners will drop out at a certain point because they can't follow you either. Um, you know, maybe they'll hear something in it. Maybe they can kind of put it together uh, if they see some pattern there. But you're asking your listeners to work. And that's not our job. <laughs> you know, listeners are there to feel. They're there to enjoy and feel and go for the be taken for a ride somewhere that's by us. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, they're not there it's to work. It's entertainment. You turn on the yeah. TV because you expect that you can kind of be mindless and entertained. It will take you on. I think people yeah. need that. And and I think that as songwriters, you know, you bring up a good point, uh, which is people need that. As songwriters, we sometimes tend to insist that listeners give us their energy. And that's not really our business. We can do that. We can ask them to work hard at it. You'll have fewer listeners because... Most listeners really come for the ride, for the emotional ride, to feel something, to, to experience someone else's life, to experience what happened to you, and, and, or feel it themselves right. and say, Does this happened to me. Resonate. Yeah. yeah, and make it resonate. And then it's, um, uh, then it becomes 
not just entertainment, but also insight. But we have to give it to them so that they, because if we ask them to work too hard, they'll drop out. They, they have lives. They have, you know, kids. They have a tough time out there. Um, our job is not to make it tougher. Do you know, I just flashed on something, and I've never asked you this in all the years I've known you. You can now make it a little warmer because it's frigid. Thank you. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like 40 degrees inside. Okay, so many years ago when I first started Taxi, and I, I was writing all the listings and sending them out, we published a whopping 30 listings a month. And I got an email from a woman that said, I do not understand what this listing means. And I said, well, then maybe you should read it a second time and, and it will sink in. And she basically wagged her finger at me. And now knowing you, it was probably that <laughs> said it because of the quality of what she taught me was a life lesson. She said, young man, communication is not the responsibility of the listener. It's Ooh. the responsibility of the person communicating. And if I don't understand what your listing says, that's your fault, not mine. Let's thank her. Yeah. That's, a, she, that's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah. She changed my life. The woman literally changed my life by telling me that because it, it improved my communication to Taxi's members. It improved the quality of the listings. And that is something that you would absolutely say. And you're basically saying it here. You just yes, said it. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it, on us to do it. And yeah. to give them the experience. It's not on them to go ha make themselves have the experience. Yeah. We're the ones who are saying, listen to our song. Let me give you an experience. And that's on us. So if we make it too hard for them um, and they drop out, we can't blame them. And a lot of times as a head screener here, I would get complaints. Not a lot, but because taxi members are such wonderful people. But... Um, they, I would get complaints saying, no, they are. Really, they are. Uh, <laughs> she had to underline that a couple of, no, they no, are. No, no, they we, are. We, we now I'm amazed very, by taxi members. Yeah. We get very few unusual people anymore. Our, our membership has gotten really cohesive and wonderful. Over yeah, and, and well-educated around songwriting, too. Um, so every once in a while, I would get somebody who would say, um, I don't want to dumb down my songs. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it easy for listeners. Well, that's fine. You, you can do that. I mean, you can write stuff that's really challenging. Don't complain when you don't have a lot of listeners. <laughs> um, really well-educated listeners will gravitate to you. Yeah, maybe. yeah. I mean, you'll find, you could find your, your fan base. Uh, you could find it, but it, it won't be huge. I mean, it's going to be probably limited to people who really enjoy that kind of challenge. And that may be the kind of fan that you want. So just be aware that when you start yeah. writing your song, if you're not, if you don't know what you're writing, your listener probably isn't going to know and they aren't going to make an effort to find out. So one of the good things, so, so something you can do, a good exercise to do is to find a theme and then uh, let's say your theme is I love you, but you don't love me. Okay, that's a theme that's very common in songs, and we all treat it in different ways. And it's a really good theme because listeners can relate to it. But let's say that's your, th pick that theme, I, you know, I love you, but you don't love me, and then practice answering the questions that that theme suggests, answering them in your own way, which is, um, what does that mean? How do I feel about that? What's the situation? What's happening? How did I get here? What do I expect to do next? How am I going to get out of this? What do I hope will happen? That's a whole list of questions. You can interview yourself Ooh. and get yourself to the next level. That way you know what you're writing about. If you don't ask yourself what you're writing about, not only will you not know, but you're also you're not likely to have the insights that you would get if you really looked at it. Do you realize when things like you can interview yourself come out of your mouth, do you know 
that you've just dropped like a golden bomb? Well, I, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big I mean, one. That's huge. <laughs> interviewing yourself or interviewing your co-writer. That's another way. That's yeah. how I learned to do it was I was interviewing my co-writers to get more out of them. And as I did it, next time I was writing alone, I thought, well, I can just ask myself those questions. So you'll find that. I mean, that's in my books and stuff. And it, when it says, ask the questions that the theme wants to have answered. And the only person who's there when you're writing a song by yourself is you. So you interview yourself. You ask yourself those questions and go through them. And once you start doing that, believe me, if you're stuck on your second verse, once you start answering those questions, you're going to know what to put in your second verse. And it's going to relate to your first verse. It's going to make sense. It's going to go deeper into what your first verse and your chorus started to say. Are you a fan of the um, flipping the verses? Um, our mutual oh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, Ralph Murphy has suggested that. Other songwriting experts that I know have suggested that as well, that a lot of times your second verse turns out to be what your first verse should be. And sometimes people overthink it when really all they need to do is flip them. Yeah. Is that an effective technique in your um, estimation? Well, there's a reason for that. And um, it actually happens to be mistake number. Oh. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. so we can get to it. Mista get mistake to number it. five. Yeah. So we'll get there. And why flipping verses, flipping your, making your second verse your first verse, why that so often works. There's a real reason for that. So um, we'll get there. But anyway, that's that's where I would start is keep a, an eye on your inspired lines. And when they come to you, look look at what they are ask yourself what's what am i talking about what's my theme where am i going with this what are the questions i need to answer early on like when you get those inspired lines don't be afraid to go look at them inspired lines are not like fragile little birds that come and sit on your shoulder and you know <laughs> fly away when you look at them too much um really the inspiration is a is a is a muscle just like your creative your creativity is a muscle. The more you work it, the more it works for you. Absolutely. But inspiration can also be um, it's kind of opaque sometimes, or it can be, it's like a dream. You know, you can't always understand it right away. So you need to look at it a little bit closely. Okay. Um, I want to in, interject something, because that's what I do best when Robin is here. Uh, many years ago, um, I went to Austin, Texas to hear a gentleman uh, that did a Saturday and Sunday seminar on writing for advertising. And he charged, I want to say $25,000 for this weekend. So there were some pretty lofty people. I did not have to pay for it. I got a free ticket. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been there. But the guy was quite brilliant. And in the middle of the thing, he um, started quoting something. And he said, and this was written by a woman named Robin Frederick. <laughs> and he pulled out, this guy was selling a book for like ridiculous amounts of money. I've got to, I'm looking over at my bookshelf because it's in there. And he did like three minutes on how wonderful this woman Robin Frederick was. And I huh. raised, raised my hand and went, I work with her every day. <laughs> so, in uh, the context was not songwriting, but mm -mm. the whatever it was that you wrote that made it into his book, it's like everything you are as the person who wrote these books, which I will pull out as soon as I can move the band. Um, These books, yes, I'm plugging the books because they're that good. And by the way, I am the publisher. I make a couple of bucks, but I'm the only publisher I know that offers a money-back guarantee if you don't think the books are worth every penny. But the, the point is, and there's the book on songwriting for film and television, which everybody, a lot of people, uh, think that, oh, I can write really good songs so they're good for film and TV. It's a whole different discipline. Buy this book. I will buy it back from you if you don't think 
it helped you a lot. Anyway, um, the man's point was that you offered the kind of insight into your regular writing. I'm guessing it was prose of some sort. And it's funny, now that I've known you this long and I hear you talk about these things, you've basically taken the, taken the gems from writing prose and thought about how they apply to songwriting. And, oh, yeah. And it just makes oh, yeah. so much sense. It's a different form, art form, but a lot of it overlaps. And yeah. pa and painting and sculpture and dance and all of the, a lot of them overlap. Um, uh, anything that uses creativity and communicates to an audience, yeah. whether it's a listener or a viewer or, you know, any of those, they all, a lot of them overlap uh, because it's all about expression. It's how do you express stuff uh, to people? How do you make it clear enough and yet emotional and yet evocative enough to move a viewer or a listener? And it's, it's often very similar, uh, just you know, slightly different takes on the same type of discipline that you need to have. One of those disciplines is thinking through what is it I, I want to tell people. When I'm uh, asking questions at the road rally, when I'm writing the questions prior to the rally, and even when I ask stuff off the cuff during a panel at the road rally, I'm constantly literally saying to myself in my own head, Am I asking questions that the people behind me would ask if they had the microphone in their hand? Yeah. So do you, as a songwriter, um, consider the audience? If Absolutely. you're writing, you know, like youngish pop, do you think about who is this? Is it going to be a mostly female audience? How old are they? What are topics that appeal to them? Does this line resonate with that age group versus... Uh, AC might be a different audience, or, or is that my own? Well, we're going to talk about genre later, but uh, one thing I do re really strongly recommend is that while you're writing your song, you imagine your listener in the room with you. And okay. that listener is a stranger. That listener is somebody. Let's imagine that you sat down, you know, uh, at, at a. Uh, uh, in a restaurant and somebody came along and sat down next to you and you were sitting there having your coffee or tea or whatever and you felt like talking and so you started telling this person your life story you know how would you keep them interested and that's what we're doing we're talking to strangers they don't know us they don't care about us so how do we keep it interesting? Well, one thing we have to do is make sure that our narrative, that our that our that we're clear about what we're telling them. If I start telling one story and then I get off on a tangent and I'm on another story and then another story and another story, they're going to get bored and, and think you're crazy and walk off. I mean, that's, now just, I know why that's people not how we talk. Get up when I'm talking. To there you go. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, so that's, that's one. An another one, I mean, there's so many things that we do that are similar and have different, different solutions. So another thing that we do that's similar, where we're not thinking about our listener and not thinking about the trail, that the pathway that our song needs to go down, development pathway, um, is when we're trying to cram two or three songs or more I've seen up to five songs crammed into one song. So is this your number two mistake? Yes, this is the okay. number two mistake. Mistake number two that I songwriters make. I see it all the time. Make. Yeah. And that's because, I think because we have so much we want to tell people, which is a good thing. It's great to know you have a lot of songs that you want to write, and you have a lot of things you want to tell people, but you're going to write hundreds of songs, so you don't need to cram anything more than just one song into one song. And the point is, if you in, in songwriting, more is not better. 
you know, more. It's it's less is better. Even in the instrumental cue world, the same thing. Is applies. that true? Oh, absolutely. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. If it's because you want to stay focused on a single idea and take us deeper into it rather than wider. And, and this is true now of songwriting and it has changed over the years. We, story songs are the kind of wider. I met you and then we uh, got married and then we had kids and then we grew old together and then we died. <laughs> I mean, that's a story song, um, but we don't. Cheery too. Yeah, I know, it's got a nice ending. Um, so what we have is a song that stays on the surface because it's trying to tell too many stories. Take one of those, we met each other, and go deeply into what did it feel like to meet each other? Who was this person? Why were you attracted to them? What did you notice first about that mm -hmm. person? What, it, what made you, was it a voice? Was it the, the quality of their voice? Was it the, the way they were dressed? Was it a smile? Was it a touch? Was it the way they related to others? Did they do something? What was it in that moment? Um, and that's the most important thing is if you're skimming the surface, if you're trying to tell too many stories at once, you're staying on the surface and you're not going deep. And so, listeners want to go deep with you. So you do that by adding detail to go deeper. And the question I have about detail, um, and you've probably covered this later, so forgive me if I'm asking this prematurely. In the songs for film and TV world, you don't want a great deal of detail in the lyric because it's bound to conflict with what's going on in the story and the picture on the screen. So Story detail, plot line, you yeah, don't want that. You know, That's the I, kind I, of detail you don't want. I Correct. met Susie under the Arc de Triomphe on New Year's Eve. Right. She was wearing <laughs> a pretty red dress with sparkles all over it. Way too much detail. Yeah. But that would work to some extent in regular songwriting. You do right. hear it for radio. You don't hear it in film and TV, but you definitely hear it on, uh, on radio. Especially and particularly in country. country yeah, yeah, absolutely in country songs. This detail is insane. Um, so there's a hit recently by Russell Dickerson, a country hit called Blue Tacoma, about his car, his Tacoma. And it's a wonderful four-chord repeated song with a wonderful melody. And then he just d digs down into this ride in, his in the car. And it's detailed. Um, you see that in country all the time physical detail that adds up to a story. It's uh, brilliant. Um, but yeah, for film and TV, we want to go more into the emotional detail, which is how did that feel? So that's when you drill down into that moment, um, then we, uh, we can experience it with you if you drill down into it and tell us how it felt emotionally and physically, because whatever's going on in, in, on the screen is what you're trying to enhance. And they'll put your song with a scene that has that emotion in it. And the more you go deeper into the, I fell, I soared, I, I was cold, I was hot, I was uh, in a hurry, I was, all those emotional, all those feelings, those physical feelings and emotional feelings um, will add up to a strong song for, for film and television. Whereas if you were to talk about um, the smell of the leather in the Tacoma, um, or, you know, the... Right, the, you the know, specifics the, of that, yeah, the, the physical details of, the, right, of your exterior. Right, explaining your, story the surra details. your surroundings yeah. won't work because the surroundings in the movie are already up Yeah, there. you really see that in a song, a country hit called I Drive Your Truck, which just paints a picture of the interior of the cabin of this truck as, you know, 89 cents in the ashtray, <laughs> your go army hat in the back seat, your can of Gatorade rolling on the floor. Literally, those are the images that open that song. And then you find out that the truck belongs 
belongs to his brother who died in the war. And when he misses his brother, he drives his truck. Aww. And it's just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. That's how country uses details. That's the problem when you go to put a country song into uh, film and TV. Right. It's because it's it dry, it was picturing the interior of a truck, which is not the truck that's in that scene. And that's why you need this book, because <laughs> it is a whole different mindset. Yes. And, and yes. you know, why somebody wouldn't drop 30 bucks to literally have a life-changing experience in a toolbox that they can use to write stuff that would work in film and TV, I don't know. There you it, go. It's beyond me. It's detail. When we say details, we have to be careful to make, I've learned to be careful to make that distinction between story details. Uh, here's here's the scene around me. Here's what I, here's here's uh, the, a, a specific description of a date and how the story went along and all that. And emotional details, which take you deeper into what a character is feeling or what the singer is feeling. And those are extraordinarily important now in all songs, film and TV and in radio. So what's the number three mistake? Number three, telling, not showing. Okay, so everybody's heard the old show, don't tell thing. Mm -hmm. And what the heck does that mean? Uh, my writing teachers all my life told me, show, don't tell, show, don't, and they never told me what the heck that meant. <clears throat> and I know it seems obvious, but I didn't get it for the longest time. Um, but basically, it means things like, if I say, uh, I love you a whole lot. I love you so much. I love you. I really, really love you. I mean, there are songs that do that. Mm -hmm. and, and those songs don't work very well for listeners because we don't know what you mean. I love you a whole lot. Well, I'm not in the mood to feel all loving. And the last time I fell in love, it broke up and I was really... And then they start thinking about how bad they felt the last time they fell in love. And, and so you lose your listener because you just told them something and, and you allowed them to run with it wherever they were going to go with it. You didn't take them where you wanted them to go. And when we show them where we want them to go, then they go there. So again, we're talking about communicating with listeners because all of this is about communicating with listeners, saying what we want to say in a way that listeners can understand. So if I say, and feel, understand and feel. So if I say I love you a whole lot, there's other ways to do that that show them what you mean and make them feel it. So you can use the measuring stick, which is one of my favorite ones, which is I'd cross an ocean for you. Yeah, I'd start a riot, which comes from a song called Start a Riot. I'll, um, this is from Philip Phillips. Uh, if you fall like a statue, I'll be there to catch you. So mm -hmm. One of my favorite rhymes. Um, <laughs> you can, and that gets us into comparisons. And this whole world of comparing emotions to something else is one of the great uh, um, tools that you use when you write universal lyrics for film so and So give us an example. Say that sentence again. Um, comparing emotions to something... So something else is one of the does it tools, have to the a, most important tools that we use. Does it have to be a physical thing that you're comparing it to? A lot um, of times we'll compare it to an image, to something physical. Um, uh, when we get together, we're like gasoline and matches. <laughs> that's, a, that's a country song that has been used in film and TV because... It's like, it's a comparison. It's got a wonderful images in it, but we're not saying, yeah, I'm at the gas station here and I'm gonna right. light a match. We're not saying that. We're not giving story details. We're saying our, our relationship is like gasoline and matches. And then the listener goes, ooh, gasoline and matches. I know what that, that's mm -hmm. explosive. That's really, oh, that's hot. That's really, yeah. And the listener's with you because they're not gonna go argue with that one. You can't argue with gasoline and matches. No, you know what that is. And you're right. You could use it to describe a relationship and in the film and TV context, think of the movie Zoolander where all the models get blown up at the gas station because one of the guys lights a cigarette. 
you didn't see Zoolander. No. <laughs> and that it, would be too on the nose. Let's right. it that way. It's, it's a classic, Robin, just yeah. saying. I'll go uh, watch, watch it. I'll watch it now. Okay. It is really Sorry. Zoolander 1, really funny. Zoolander 2, don't even turn on the TV set. Oh, okay. But there's Review. a scene where all these male models are at the gas station. And they're all prancing around and dancing, <laughs> being male models. Very vacuous minds, you know. And one of them lights a cigarette standing next to a gas <laughs> And all of them but Zoolander die. And, uh, yeah, so. I'm on yeah. Netflix tonight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's a classic, right? I'm not kidding. Okay, everybody, we have our we have our viewing uh, uh, de determined for us tonight. <laughs> by the way, I want to mention. I see Scott Hansen is in the house. Scott, my brother, I have missed you. Where the heck have you been? I I always enjoy your humor in the uh, chat room. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So we've been talking about lyrics a lot. Yeah. So let's go to number four, where I'm going to talk about melody for a minute. Okay. okay. Because number four is one of those things. This is a writing melodies that need more shape is now the way I'm describing this. I used to describe it in terms of pure contrast. We need to put contrast in our melodies in order to define the song sections. Hmm. Now, contrast sometimes is, can be a little more subtle than, than what we usually expect when we use the word contrast. So I've been using the word shape, giving your shape to your melodies so that the listener doesn't get lost. Listeners really want to know that there's a map, that there's a, that there's a method to your madness. If you start a song and your melody, okay, verse melodies are pretty calm, they're pretty conversational. If your pre-chorus then continues on in the same vein, sort of calm and conversational, and then you get to your chorus and it's kind of calm and conversational, your listener's going, are we going anywhere with Where, this song? Where's the path? Yeah. yeah, and you would do the same thing. In fact, put yourself in the listener's shoes. All of these things that I'm talking about, yeah. Put yourself in the listener's shoes and imagine how you would react to them. So when we write songs, we need to be our own listener and say, hey, I wouldn't like it if I wrote this monotonous melody or a melody that seems to wander because there's no shape to it. So, for example, one of my favorite melodies, let me give you an example here. My favorite melodies, and it's a master class in melody writing, is, this, is the hit song Stronger, What Doesn't Kill You for Kelly Clarkson. Master class. Even if you're not writing pop, anthemic pop hits, which is what this is, and it was a massive hit for, for Kelly Clarkson a couple years ago, it's a master class in looking at how melody has shape. And um, I've recently been working with people who started out writing sort of ordinary melodies, and then we started talking about adding rhythm to your melodies, changing up the phrase lengths in the different sections of your melody, sometimes doing longer patterns of longer lines, and then you hit your pre-chorus, and all of a sudden you do shorter phrases, bump, 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 really short, and more syncopated maybe, a little more edgy. And then you get to the chorus and you just hit that high note and stretch out, and it's given each section a shape, a melodic shape, that looks different than the others. If you imagine your melody visually, even, you know, if you looked at the line, line lengths on the page, you can see how the shapes of those line lengths change from one section to the next. If you check out that song, you'll see it. In the verse, she goes, uh, you know, the bed feels warmer sleeping here alone. Da -da 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 -da. It's just very conversational, and it's just two short lines that repeat, two longish lines, excuse me, da, 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 uh, do the things I want. It's just a nice conversational. She's just talking to you, telling you how things are. And then she hits the pre-chorus, and all of a sudden, the phrases get shorter. They go a little higher in note range, and they have more syncopation. They're more punchy. Uh, you think you got the best of me? 
think you got the last laugh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a different shape. And then you hit that chorus, and all of a sudden, uh, the lines stretch out. She hits the highest notes of the song. There's no pauses uh, when she gets to that point. And it's hitting hard on the strong beats, the down beats. There's very little syncopation when she gets there. Each section has its own identity, melodic identity. Think of it that way. Think of it as melodic shapes. Think of it as contrast. Whatever works for you. But whatever style you're working in, whatever genre you're working in, Take a look at recent hits in that genre and notice how the melody is being shaped. In today's pop R&B, the shapes are not quite as, um, as radically different as in they are in a song like Stronger What Doesn't Kill You, which is basic pop. I, I've seen that change across the board. Um, so many of today's hits, I'm talking about just the last couple of years in particular, where back in the day, you always wanted your chorus to be just big, explosive, anthemic. And now the choruses aren't as dynamic and anthemic as they used to be, mm -hmm. but right. they are shaping the melodies yes. and, and using um, the phrasing along with it to you still know you're in the chorus. A lot of times it's the pace. Yeah. Um, it's the influence of R&B. R&B is too cool for those big anthemic choruses. Mm. They would never like let all that emotion out and really show it. R&B is cool, it's hip, it's street. So when you look at R&B, you see these choruses with, with lots of words. It's also the influence of rap. The chorus will have a lot of words. So take a, a line, and, and it's influenced pop now. So if you take a look at a hit, a recent hit like uh, New Rules, by Dua Lipa, which is my favorite current masterclass in current songwriting for the pop R&B market, you see subtle differences and not so subtle differences in the pacing between the three sections. She also has a conversational verse, um, which is very talky, very chatty, very chatty, lots of words, lots of notes, just popping along, really cooking along. And then she gets to the pre-chorus and it's ooh, you know, my last lover did this. Ooh, she has these breaks all of a sudden with these smooth notes that break up that, that pre-chorus section and they get repeated. So you go, oh, we're, this is a different melody now. And then she hits that chorus and all of a sudden she's going one, da-da-ba-ba-ba-da-da, two, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it has a very heavy, rhythmic, melodic pattern that's very different from the other two sections. So when we're dealing with R&B pop, uh, Charlie Puth, Shawn Mendes, uh, Dua Lipa, this kind of pop dance with an R&B influence, which is so popular now, we're dealing with a lot of changes in melodic rhythm between the sections, and then a change in the lengths of the notes, but not in the rising, those huge note rise pitch rises that we do in in classic pop in classic ac where you had these big powerhouse choruses that were way at the top of the range oh, you will see it but not so much as we used to melodically you know third line most important word in the back half of the third line of a four line uh, chorus you know take me higher and, yeah, and the people, money note <laughs> yeah the money note exactly and they they would shoot it up an octave yes, to accentuate yes. it and make it more obvious and it, it was everything you rarely hear that anymore. you you will hear it but not nearly like we used to yeah, yeah. so um stitches by sean mendes does it i happen to be showing that song to somebody recently and you'll see on the third line there's usually a variation or change of some kind the first two lines will be complete repeats of the melody the third line will go away and a lot of times all of a sudden it'll go up higher and then it'll come back down for the payoff line or it'll repeat that third line um, I think it's to catch attention as much as anything else and give the singer a 
chance to stretch out, but it's not going to be the big Celine Dion money note that it used to be. Yeah. It's going to be more syncopated or a little bit uh, held back, or it's going to very interesting to watch these melodic patterns and copy some of them. Get right in there and take one of your favorite songs. I love the Charlie Puth song, Shawn Mendes, I love. Um, get in there and take a look at some of these melodies, Selena Gomez, her hits. Um, these are very melodic AC songs, but they're not classic AC. So um, take a look at these melodies, sing along with them. Notice where how they're creating shape and identity for each section. Um, and, and so that the listener always knows, gets enough changes, and they know that you're, you're, what your intention are and that you're taking them someplace intentionally. Then they'll trust you and they'll go along with you. A melody that wanders too much, too much sameness, they won't, they'll stop trusting you real quickly and they'll drop out. It, the meandering aspect is really important. Um, that was something that John Brahaney put on our very first critique of Taxi was melody meanders too much. So you're right, the, the big like sock you in the face melodies don't happen as much, but they don't meander either. No, they don't. These, these things are very well structured. Boy, the melodies today in today's hits in yeah. all country, and country is much more influenced by pop now. So country melodies sound actually like kind of Fleetwood Mac 70s. They did for a little while. Now they've gone beyond that. And now country melodies are sounding a lot more like today's pop melodies. Complex. Very R&B influenced, mm -hmm, influenced very by hip-hop and hip-hop. Yeah. But I love your observation about R&B being so cool, and that's what's influenced. That's why um, we don't have the big choruses. Wow. Yeah, I'm too, I'm too street. I'm too hip. I'm too cool. Absolutely. And if you go back and you listen to the R&B of the 70s, you hear it. It's right there. That was yeah. worth the price of admission on today's show. Oh, but it was free. Just saying. No, <laughs> that, that, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> that observation, that, that's, that's like huge. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad I came today. Oh, good. Uh, okay. What's We're your number five? Yeah. Number, the fifth mistake songwriters make. Okay. Um, you need to engage your listener. So we've been talking about listeners all along, right? This is all about the listener. And you're still expressing what you want to say, but you're expressing it in a way that will engage listeners. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we want, don't we? We want listeners. We don't write in our bedrooms and then keep it in the bedroom. You belong to Taxi or you're here because you want to reach out to listeners. And sometimes it's frustrating when listeners aren't reacting the way you want them to. So all of the things that we've been talking about have been uh, ways to engage your listener or keep your listener listen, you know, with you, understanding what you're doing. Now we want to get inside the listener's head. This is this is almost manipulation. I mean, except that we do it for a good in a good cause. Honest, so it's a good and, thing. Honest and positive manipulation are fine. I agree. If I there's agree. no evil intent, yeah. Sometimes people need to be manipulated well, for their why own. Why do you think people go to movies? Yeah. You know, I was watching Polar Express last night and it was like being on a ride at Disneyland, you know, you're literally on a roller coaster for half of that movie. And it's it's engaging, it's compelling. People go for that very reason is to be manipulated into in, enjoying and participating literally participating in these movies. Mm -hmm. And so we want them they listen to songs why not just go watch a movie if you don't have that same experience when you listen to a song? We want to engage them, take them on the ride with us. So we've been talking about melody, keeping them with us, and lyrics, um, you know, giving them uh, an experience, not just saying something, but telling them, uh, you know, what it feels like. And this is, this is essentially the tricks of storytelling. Storytelling, movie scripts do, are storytellers. 
you know, we've, we've for, you know, thousands of years, we've had storytellers. That's all we had for the longest time. A good storyteller will start at the beginning, take you chronologically through to the end. Okay, but a great storyteller will drop you right into the middle of the action, right in the middle. Okay, so I met you in high school. Nah, that's not, you could say that, that's the chronological story. But don't do that. You want to start at the peak moment, the moment at which the most interesting stuff is happening. And that's what a good storyteller does. So, for example, in Treat You Better, which is a song a Sean Mendes hit, he starts with the line, very first line, I won't lie to you. I know he's just not right for you. Boom, you're in it. Mm -hmm. This is the conversation between the singer and the person that he is trying to persuade you know what to it's love all him. All about all of it. Yeah. yeah, it's three people. You got it all. You know that the other person's being abused or not being treated well by the third person. He he's in love, obviously, or he wants to help. It's all there in that one line. I won't lie to you. I know he's just not right for you. So simple. Sometimes just very conversational lines can be extraordinary. Yep. And so you don't always have to use comparisons and, and images and action words and all that. Sometimes it's just important to come right out and say it. And, and this particular song is very good at it. And the compactness of words used in that, mm -hmm. it, it's art. That is, that, that is a beautiful sculpture to me yeah. right there. So when we talk about switching the second verse to the first verse, right. a lot of times that's the reason we're doing it. In fact, because all we're the time. already in it. Yes. And we want to bring that to yes. the top. Because okay. we have such a compelling a compulsion to write the story from, from word one, just yeah. as all storytellers do, including good storytellers. We, we are compelled to do that. We want to do that. And so we all start there. So go ahead and start there. I tell people, get your idea down any way you can. Don't lose that idea. Write it down. Make that your first draft. But don't stop there. Take a look and see if maybe you didn't really get into the story until you got to your second verse. That way you could just drop out the first verse, move the second verse up into the first verse spot, and start right in the middle. Then, if you need to, in that second verse, you can go back and say, um, you know, think something like, you know, we've been here so many times before. And that's all they may need to know about the history. Taylor Swift does that in style, her song style. Just one line. She says, do you know we've been here so many times before? We go round and round. And that's all the history you get. And that's all you need. You know immediately that they, these two, this couple has a history, that this couple's been doing this over and over, and the thing she's already described in the first verse is not the first time. And you got it. You do not need to know anything other than that. We don't need to spend time telling them that. So take, if I were to say, how much backstory should you give in a song? I would say, in general, keep the whole song in the present tense. If you need to go back to the past to put something in there that says, yeah, this is the way it used to be, but, you know, 10% um, of the time. You know, two I, lines. I, I think Scott Hansen is really grasping what you're saying because he's come up with, with a great line. What is here. Scott saying? Scott says the bridge should be, I won't lie to you, let's have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Scott. There you go. The absolute essence of it <laughs> right. is... He's, yes. he's a truth teller. And he's right. He's right. The bridge <laughs> is where you put the absolute essence of your song in. The bridge is, oh, is, is the moment. Um, so so do that. Stay, stay in the present tense with your listener. Keep your listener in the moment of greatest intensity. That's what I call the peak moment. The peak moment is the moment in which the singer makes a decision, takes an action, or realizes something. 
Okay, so at, at that point, that's where you want to be uh, with your listener. Keep your listener in that moment, and anything you need to say that's outside of that moment, um, keep it to the bare minimum. I've got to say, every time you talk about peak moment at the road rally, um, she's got a, typically a thousand people in the ballroom when Robin's on stage. Every time you talk about peak moment, because I'm usually sitting off the side of the stage looking out at the audience, um, you see a thousand people lean forward and, and, and <laughs> oh, write that down because uh, it's very, very great. important. It is. It's extraordinarily important. And let me give you a great example of peak moment writing, one of my favorites. And it's mm -hmm. a, a song that a lot of people love. It's, it's Slow Dancing in a Burning Room by John Mayer. And I love his peak moment because it's the very first line of the song. The first line, it's not a silly little moment. It's his first line. It's mm -hmm. a peak moment. It's not a silly little moment. Mm -hmm. It's not the storm before the calm. This is the deep and dying breath of this love we've been working on. Mm. This is the realization, the singer's realization and statement of this is over. I finally give in. I give up. This is over. You don't even know it yet, the person he's speaking to. You don't know it yet, but I am telling you, I am there right now. And the, so the listener is there right with them, with him, uh, like a fly on the wall, mm -hmm. listening and watching what he's saying. And as he realizes this is over, then that magnificent description of what that feels like. Emotionally, that feels like slow dancing in a burning room. And there you, you have it in a nutshell, another one of those masterclass songs mm -hmm. in, in lyric writing. It's very simple. It's very stripped down. And yet you look at every single line. It's so deep that it's ridiculously deep, deep, but ridiculously. it's so simple. And yes. that's that, again, is the craft. Yes. That's craft at its highest level right yes. there. Yes. So he has something he really wanted to say, needed to say. This is his life he's talking about right here. So, and as we all do. And then he took his, he put, I'm sure his first draft did not read like that. And so he wrote his first draft. Then he goes back and he rewrites it. And every single thing in those first four lines is something we've we have talked about or we're going to talk about in the next in the next few minutes. Because every single one of those things is things that you, that is an essential of songcraft. And once you remember those things, just make yourself a checklist of the things we've been talking about today. And and you know, go through your checklist after you do your first draft and say, Ooh, I could I could get in there and I could change it's not uh, the calm before the storm. It's the it's not the storm before the calm. We're not having the usual fight and then make up, mm -hmm. are we? And I read that line and I went, Oh my goodness, it took me I didn't notice it at first. It's not the storm before the calm. He must have I mean that's you have to really think about that line to get that to get the flip in there and go, and this is really what I meant to say too, is to take that cliche, flip it, and make it mean something absolutely true and serious and honest. But here's an important observation. It is your craft, your special skill is is analyzing these things. A listener would never give it the thought that you do, right. but they internalize it right. because the craft is so strong. That's right. That, uh, if it weren't this strong, it would just fly by you. It wouldn't matter. You would never care to hear, care to hear the song again. We don't demand that listeners get everything we write uh, the way he's done, the things we put into it. This is why John Mayer is such a great writer and why so many people enjoy his stuff. On one level, you just you just enjoy it because because you get it. Slow dancing in a burning room, we're going down, we're doomed, it's over, dear. Got it. It's all right there in the chorus. You can't miss it. Mm -hmm. Whether you hear the verse or not, 
you're going to get what that song means and what it's about and you're going to relate to it because everybody's been there um then you can go back and take a deeper look at the verses the second the third the fourth the fifth time that you you know it's like your first date oh i really kind of like this guy you know and then the second date it's like gee i don't know if he's as smart as i thought gee i don't i'm really by the third date you're really bored you're out of there that's what this does it keeps you dating it it keeps you coming back because there's so much depth there that when you really sit down and listen to this song as we do as songwriters and as listeners who are fans of john mayer who have become fans of john mayer they get they definitely go back and get into that listeners do care about lyrics it's just that we can't ask them to care the very first time they hear our song mm -hmm. or the very first if they're not fans already um, you can ask your I mean you can write a song about your dog's birthday if you've got fans <laughs> and your fans will go oh wow that's incredible I didn't know I own a dog too yeah right. <laughs> your fans your hardcore fans will be there with you but we as songwriters we may not have those hardcore fans ever and so we've got to write songs that make fans of Dua Lipa go, oh, I love that song. That means so much to me. I really get it. And I love Dua Lipa. So we write songs for somebody else to sing to their fans. It's, this is, we, we live in this strange universe where sometimes we write for ourselves, yeah, and our own fans, but a lot of times we're writing for others. I'm so, I admire, I admire songwriters who can do both. You've never discussed this on Taxi TV I with me before, yeah. but this is really, really important because the vast majority of songs that people write are being pitched to artists yeah. and, and other artists, um, and, and that is a key. We always think in terms of what can, how can you present the song so somebody else will want to do it. Um, and, and one of the factors that's become important over the last several years is delivering a demo vocal that's very much in the style of the person you're pitching to. Mm -hmm. it, it's got to make them think, that would be great for me. That's right. And, and yep. that's what you're talking about here is, is writing, crafting lyrics that are re so not only relatable to the ultimate end user audience member, but to the person who's going to take that to the audience, which right. is the artist you're trying to get to And the truth is, if you've written a song that's very relatable to listeners, yeah. there's going to be an artist who hears it right. and goes, yeah, I want to do that. And it's just a question of finding the right match with the right artist. And so if it isn't Dua Lipa, it's Selena Gomez or it's, yes, if you've got a song that sounds like it has the potential to reach a wide audience, that's a they song. It, yeah. That's a song with the potential to be a hit. Money in the bank. That's it. And uh, publishers recognize it, and artists need to recognize it. The the problem, the reason we do those demos, those those you know demos that are so close to finished to, when we're pitching to uh, um, music publishers, let's say, and you want to get close to what the radio, the energy and the emotion that that final song is going to have, is because not only will the artist hear it and the music publisher, I don't have too many worries about them. It's everybody in between. It's mm -hmm. the it's the artist manager and the artist's mother and the artist's uncle Joe and the you know it's it's all those people. There's a whole bunch of them, the managers and the people who may or may not be able to hear through a demo that isn't fully baked, as Richard Harris says, yeah. um, and, you know, with the crust on it and, and the complete pie. Or you could have something in there, let's say that the artist is a female and she's in a recently new relationship with a guy and he's not comfortable with her singing a lyric about Good point. meeting another guy Good point. or her last lover yeah. or something. So, yeah, all 
there's so many little things that can get a song bounced out, yeah. of, out of contention. Yeah. So you just, what your job is then as a songwriter that wants to pitch to music publishers is to write what comes, what will appeal to a lot of today's listeners. And everything we've been talking about has been how do you appeal to listeners because it's all about that. You start with your heart, your own emotion, your own heart, your own expression, but then it's how you take it out into the world and how you relate it to listeners and make them feel compelled to listen to it and enjoy it. You take them on that ride with the, the melody and the, the music production and the vocal, all those things. Take those listeners on a ride. And once you learn how to take them for that, that you know, theme park ride, you're in business. Absolutely. Let's move on to the mm -hmm. sixth mistake that songwriters make because I realize we've got half the show, little less than half the show left, and we still have several left to, half to the, go. To go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to have a little time for Q&A. Okay. Again. So, uh, so number six is uh, lyric and music could be working together more effectively. This is something, uh, this one I'm just going to go by pretty quickly, I think, because I don't hear this as a problem too often. Um, I did hear recently a song that was a blues song, a, had a bluesy feel to the track, to the melody. But the song, the lyric itself was, pick yourself up and you can do it. And the blues is just not that type of genre. Blues is about survival and life is tough. And I can, but I'm gonna, you know, uh, you, you deal with the tough side of life. That's the blues. And so the idea that you could just pick yourself up and go and you can do it. And it didn't seem to match the underlying blues music. And so we lost that, that um, loop, that emotional feedback loop that we get that makes songs so strong between the music and the lyrics. As we sing a happy, upbeat lyric, we have happy, upbeat music. And if the lyric sounds authentic and the music is supporting it, then listeners will go, yeah, I feel a little better about that. As long as they're willing to let themselves go into it, they'll, they'll feel happy, you know. Don't worry, be happy. It's a syncopated, fun, upbeat melody with a light sort of, you know, melodic feel to it. Don't worry, be happy. It's not a complicated melody. Everything about the melody supports the idea and the feelings of don't worry, be happy. If that were a complicated melody with a lot of chord changes and some a lot of minor in it, it would be, uh, it wouldn't match the, we wouldn't believe the singer. We simply wouldn't believe it. When it comes to emotion, the music always wins. Know that. It will be the music that will beat your lyric every time, no matter what it is you say in the lyric. The music is the thing that's going to make the emotion, get the emotion across. Think about the melody the song starts with. Don't worry, be happy. Duh. I'll get a copyright strike if I sing it. Oh, oh Or I I'll lose that, huh? our entire audience <laughs> if I sing it. But it, it is happy-go-lucky. Just that, that yeah. little key line, um, which is a hook unto itself. Yeah, don't it, worry, be happy. It's totally happy-go-lucky. Yeah, it's almost, it makes you smile when you even sing any of that song and that's one reason why it's so effective and it manipulates listeners in an honest way yep. into feeling better and as long as the listeners willing to go along with it I mean there's times in your life when you're just not gonna go there but as long as you're open to it you will go there I've got a secret about that song if you reverse the melody it makes you really sad oh. <laughs> It's the most depressing yeah. song ever. All so right. most of, most taxi members get that. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a real basic thing. But I just wanted to bring it up because every once in a while I sing it. I excuse me, I hear it. And and what you want to do is, as you're writing your song, just be thinking about how much 
better? Could my melody uh, be supporting what I want to say in my lyric? Or how much better could my lyric be expressing what's in the melody? More and more these days, I've been interviewing a bunch of top line writers lately, people who write melody and lyrics to existing tracks. And a lot of times what they'll say is, well, I just na-na my way through a melody. I sing whatever occurs to me melodically to the track. I get into the feel. I get into the groove. I look for where I think the hook goes and I just start singing a melody and then then I kind of find words that go with it. In other words, what they're doing is releasing themselves into the feel of the track, the mm -hmm. emotional feel, and looking for the melody and then the lyric that matches that emotional feel. And that's one of the great ways to start a song too. So um, just be, keep that in mind as you're working through and, and make sure that your melody, your music, your melody, your, your, the singer, the lyric, all of those are working together. And if you ever wondered, how do I work with a collaborator? That's a great way. Hand them something where the melody and the rhythm dictate what the lyrics should feel like. It makes your collaborator's job a lot easier. That's true, yeah, yeah. And if your collaborator doesn't come up with a lyric that matches that, you should get a new collaborator. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, number seven, writing songs that sound dated. Of course, this is a huge problem for everyone. We have to, as we go through our careers, um, sometimes we just need to reset uh, everything, just hit the reset button and, and take what our knowledge is, but also give ourselves something, um, some information about what listeners are currently liking. But people often say, oh gee, I don't like what I hear on the radio, or I don't like what I hear on Spotify, modern music doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah, I heard that just the other, somebody said that to me the There's other day. There's such a wide range of great material out there now, there's gotta be yeah. something. Please don't be closed-minded. I'm an old guy. I, I love the music from the mid-70s up until about 1981. That's what I default to. But I turn on the radio in my car every now and then, although I barely listen to it, I've got to admit. Well, don't listen I, to the radio. I, I, I like silence don't, in my car. It's a terrible place to listen to songs, <laughs> but is the radio. The it's stuff awful. that I'm hearing, it, it, there is an awful lot of beat-driven, like EDM-inspired pop out there with mm -hmm. mindless lyrics. But every now and then, I'm hearing music that I think holds up to the, the best music ever made. I, I, I totally agree. And we're in a I, renaissance period. Yeah, absolutely. It's as creative as it was in the 1960s. There's as much unusual, amazing, creative stuff out there. Um, Richard Harris, who's a music producer and top line writer, said recently, he said, I know people say to me, I don't like anything. There's no good music. It's not as good as it used to be. And he said, they must not be listening to what's out there because it's the best I've ever heard. Yeah. And I agree with him. It's as good as anything I have ever heard out there. So don't listen to the radio. <laughs> That's my advice to everyone um, because the radio is a terrible place to hear music. So instead, um, go check out the charts, uh, the music charts on Billboard or the music charts on bdsradio.com. That stands for Broadcast Data Systems, bdsradio.com. And just go through the top 20. And you, there will be, you know, maybe 18 songs you don't like, but if there's two songs you really like, that's what counts. It's and those two songs. Live with them. Yeah, live with them. Study them. Analyze them. Write a song, new lyrics to that melody. Use the beat. Get involved in that song. Literally, get involved. Jump in, dive in, and go deep into that song. Don't just listen to it a few times. Just listening is not what you should be doing. So I, I've had taxi members who were pitching on a um, listing and they back when I was head screener, and they would say, um, 
But I did listen to the reference tracks. I did. And I'd listen to what they pitched, and I'd think, you can't possibly have listened to the reference tracks. So I'd say, well, let's listen to them together. Did you call Liar Liar Pants on No, fire? <laughs> no. I just taught them how to listen. <laughs> because that's what we need to learn. And you don't automatically know how to listen. They were they were listening, but they weren't listening. And so when you when you study and analyze and go deeper into that song, you can discover what it is they're doing that makes it that makes that song work. Um, you know, sometimes just when I would just play the reference song for them and their song right next to it, they go, oh, I see what you mean. I mean, I can hear what you mean. But the, you can hear it, but can you understand why it's different? What it is that's happening that's different, that you could be doing if you wanted to pitch on this listing. You could be doing these things and you could get closer to that listing. So it's, it's you know, going, delving deep into that song and listening to... Um, how, how, for example, the lyrics. Our lyrics today are very, are much more vivid and emotional than they were in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. When we could say things like, uh, um, I really love you. And, and listeners would go, oh, you know. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, I honestly, I honestly love, love you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You could say that, Drek, and people would believe you. <laughs> I thought it was Drek even then, but I'm sorry for you, Olivia Newton, John fans out there. But um, there was a lot of, of listeners were more naive and trusting then than they are now. I hate to say it, but listeners are more jaded now, even young listeners. I mean, people do not accept, I love you, I honestly love you. Because we, as we live in a, a hyper-communicative yeah, world now. And there's just so much more input that I think it's jaded everybody. I uh, recently wrote an email to an old friend of mine, a guy named Bob Lefsetz. Many of you probably get the Lefsetz letter. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how the music industry, he was blaming the failure of the music industry to really grow compared to other stuff. And he was blaming it on the executives who run the music industry. I wrote back and said, Bob, you know what? It's because back in our day, music was the only portable form of entertainment, save a newspaper or a magazine. So back in our day, we grew up with a transistor radio at the Beatles, you know, She Loves You. Um, and then it became a boombox, and then it became a Walkman, and then it became phones or iPods, then phones. And now, because uh, mobile devices have video and they have games and stuff on it. The portable entertainment that we used to take with us in the form of music, which totally saturated our lives with music, is now just a piece of that pie. That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's right. And not only that, but people's experience of these things is much more immersive. Um, we have video games, we have theme parks, we have, I mean, literally movies now are taking you on theme park rides. Um, that's what we're doing with our kids now. These kids' movies are all, th all like 3D. I mean, yeah. you can't, yeah. Um, and so we have to compete with that. So, for example, our lyrics now are more vivid and more compelling than they were back in those decades because they have to be. So right. a good example is, again, the slow dancing in a burning room where he says, uh, deep and dying breath. He says, uh, this is the deep and dying breath of this love we've been working on. He doesn't say it's over. You know, well, this is over. Um, he doesn't. This is the deep and dying breath. And you can hear that. It's the last exhalation that somebody gives as they're dying. And you, it has a ton of associations. It's trigger. Those are trigger words. Deep 
dying, and breath are all trigger words that come <coughs> with a ton of associations that every listener has. And so we use those kinds of words to give people the experience of this is what this moment feels like. This peak moment is like a deep and dying breath. And using those kinds of words that have lots of emotional, tr emotional trigger words are a big part of what we do now. Melodies have more momentum. Melodies literally take you on that ride. I was talking about that earlier when I said these, they, you know, these kinds of, these, they don't stop. They have no pauses in them in the chorus. If you listen to New Rules, the Dua Lipa hit, when she gets to that chorus, there is no place literally to take a breath in there. Those lines just cascade over each other like a ride at an amusement park, and it drags you forward. The, the sheer momentum just drags you through that chorus till she gets to the next verse. And then she's going to say something interesting and keep your attention. And then it's going to build up to that ride again and take you, drag you through that chorus, the next chorus. Um, it's a very physical moment, uh, uh, medium now songwriting. So think in terms of the physicality of the, how you're physically getting your listener involved, getting inside their heads, getting them to feel emotions with trigger words and using your melody to take them on, on this ride. You could say the same of R&B. Um, nobody can listen to great R&B and not move. Yeah, yeah, that's the groove. You know, that's you, the underlying groove. You can listen groove. to singer-songwriter yeah. and just sit there like a lox, you yeah. know. But it's true, R&B music becomes part of your physical being. Yes. And that's like, a, a, it's another sense, another sensory trigger. I urge you to write to grooves. You know, find a groove that you like. You can you can get them at all kinds of loops and grooves and MIDI loops at Groove Monkey and and drum loops at uh, uh, Drums on Demand or uh, Big Fish Audio or over at Splice.com. You can get grooves lots of places that you can write to. You can replace them later if they aren't a groove. And that you please have do that. before you submit them, especially for film and TV. Yeah, uh, replace those grooves uh, with your own, but write to a groove and then you can drop it out and put something in. But that groove will give you a lot of emotion and energy and tell you what your song's about a lot of times. Uh, groove writing is really important now, especially for radio, but also film and TV. Even film and TV is using tracks with a light pulse in it. They're not using the heavy grooves unless it's source music for a DJ in a dance club or something. But uh, for underscore, for song score, they, they tend to look for a pulsing beat. So you can listen to something like Agnes Obel, the way she uses her piano in a song like Dorian that has been used a ton. Um, you can listen to, uh, I think I'm going to refer to Flurry later on. Uh, Flurry is used a ton in film and television. Uh, Flurry, F-L-E-U-R-I-E. Um, I mean, literally, I think 101 uses, song, different song uses in TuneFind, just a huge amount. And so I would be overlooking at Flurry to see what she's doing, to see why those are being used. It's being used because it creates a, a mood or atmosphere that works very well underneath scenes. And then here comes this fragile voice singing, you know, words like breathe. Uh, it's uh, very physical words. Um, so Flurry, uh, if you're taking a look at film and TV, apply all the things we've been talking about, emotional trigger words and melodies and music that, that work with the lyric to create and enhance an emotion. Very important for film and television. I'm glad you mentioned TuneFind. Uh, I don't want to take you off track because we're a little limited on time, but 
if you are not going to tunefine.com, uh, you're missing out on a great resource. If you want to understand, look at what gets used, how often it gets used, and where it gets used, TuneFind is the place to learn that. Just pop over there and do a search for Flurry, and you're going to see something that's going to knock your socks off, and you're going to go, why aren't I writing songs like that? Um, and check them out. And as you listen to those songs, you'll hear what I just described, which is they create and evoke a mood that could underscore a scene. There's not a lot of lyric in it sometimes. Other times there's more lyric. But um, you'll you'll hear what's happening in that kind of post uh, cinematic post-rock uh, uh, tracks. Um, very interesting. That The producer of a lot of those is Tommy Prophet, and uh, he's a very interesting producer, so something to look at. Okay. <laughs> All right, number eight. eight. Waiting too late to ask what genre you're in. <laughs> this is an old chestnut. This one harks back to my head screener days uh, when people, and it's still going on, um, and it probably always will. People have finished their song. They have spent money on a producer um, uh, or produced it, put in, a, invested a ton of time and energy into producing it. And they come to me and they say, okay, what genre am I in? It what do I pitch a, this for? It is in the square peg genre. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm so sorry. It is not in a genre that I've ever heard of. It's not funny. It's, it's, I hate it when I have to say that. Um, you should be asking what genre you're writing for when you start your song. Literally. This is backwards. It's don't ask at the end. Ask yourself. It's the first thing you ask. Choose your reference artists. I'm being even more specific. When you pitch on ta a taxi, you're not only pitching in a genre, you've got reference artists. Know what your reference artists are when you start. And then steal like a songwriter. You know, as you're writing, uh, get some ideas from their production or get some ideas from how their, how their melody builds dynamically. But don't steal don't the steal. melody or the lyric. Right. Don't steal, steal the vibe. Right. Get get the group. Get the the tempo. Get the way the techniques that they're using. Then adapt those to how you want your song to sound. None of us wants to copy anything. There's a wonderful book, by the way, called Steal Like an Artist mm -hmm. um, by Austin Kleon. And you might really want to take a look at that because it's essentially that's it. It's, you know, um, it's the T.S. Eliot, uh, um, good poets uh, steal and, and great poets good poets borrow good you know and great poets steal and then adapt it to become something different or something even better that's what stealing like an artist is get the techniques down find out what it is you like about that artist why are you writing in that style if you don't like that artist don't write in that style if you find artists that you love and you you're interested in, in that sound and you want to create that sound because it expresses the way you feel how is it doing that and how do you adapt that to your style and your song so that you can make your song do that, use that technique, but not end up stealing, actually copying anything. We're not copying, we're adapting. Um, and then when you finish your song, you're going to know who your reference artists are, and you're going to know what genre you're in. You, you should not be asking that question at the end. You should ask it at the beginning. If I ask our most successful, highest earning taxi members, if I were a fly on the wall that landed on their knee 15 minutes into any writing session, what genre are you writing? Every one of them would know. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. You have to write, um, you know, um, you have to write with that in mind because otherwise 
you, whatever your inspiration throws at you, and this takes us back to that beginning when we were talking about inspiration, your inspiration is nonlinear. Your inspiration is not giving you ideas that all belong in the same song. Your inspiration, your inspired ideas, is just throwing stuff at you. It's like a dream. And you know how dreams are. You're swimming in a pool, and the next thing you're laying nude on a beach, and the next thing you're climbing a mountain, and then you're in your office, and you're you know, writing something. and then you're, That's a dream. It's nonlinear. And so your inspiration throws all this stuff at you, and we make the mistake of thinking that stuff all belongs in the same song. And it happens with lyrics, it happens with melodies, and it happens with production too. So if, you're, if your inspiration is giving you ideas, and you're going, oh yes, yes, I'll take that, I'll take, oh yes, and I'll put that all in the same song. When you're done, it's like a dream, a dreamscape. It's like a Salvador Dali painting. It makes no <laughs> sense to anyone. And so you want to get your inspiration on a leash you know, and just gently tug that leash and say, no, no, I'll, 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 I'll write that down or I'll record that. Yes, but I'm going to save that for later because it doesn't belong in this song. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of put it on a, on a, you know, you're not a tight leash, but you kind of keep it on, guiding it. You guide your inspiration as you go. And when it gives you things that you can try it, see if it fits in your song, but don't bend your song out of shape of to accommodate that. You're going to be in trouble. One of my favorite pieces of advice that I love to give out is just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And this is going to take us to number nine. Number nine. <laughs> my mistake number nine, not writing enough, not growing your catalog. And here's what happens. So many people say to me, I can't seem to finish my songs. I have a lot of unfinished songs. And nine times out of ten, when I look at that song, it's be those songs, it's because their inspiration has led them off into other directions. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't, they tried to fit that line in there. They hammered the, the square peg in the round hole yep. and wrecked the song trying to do that. And they got stuck. They don't know where to take the song. And they think they have writer's block, which is vanishingly rare. Believe me, you do not have writer's block. It's just that you can't solve a problem that you got yourself into. Mm -hmm. And inspiration, a lot of times, is the thing that got you into it. Because like a puppy, it just runs everywhere. It goes everywhere. And you've got to get it slowed down a little bit and on the leash and then write those things down for others to keep, keep track of it. As John Asher says, my cell phone is my best friend. I mean, he's, got, he's recording constantly ideas into it as they occur to him. And a lot of times when you're writing one song, your inspiration is free. So you're, you're not consciously looking at it. It's going to be working on other songs. And so that's why so many of us work in cars, our conscious mind is taken up doing something else and our inspiration starts going because it, we're not looking at it directly and it can, it can just run free. Keep your cell phone with you. Um, over and over and over, I've seen this now, that people are using their cell phones as their library of ideas. So that must be what all those people driving recent model year expensive cars on the 101 are doing when I see them holding their cell phones all this time I thought they were having conversations with other people <laughs> and breaking the law but no they're writing they're lyrics singing. yes now <laughs> I get singing. it they're singing hit memo and sing into <laughs> it and give it a name that sort of vaguely identifies it so you can upload it to your computer later and keep those things somewhat organized and then go back to those songs that you have that you haven't finished, that that you think have a have the possibility of being useful to you, and sort out what you've done there that's stopped that song from keeping on going, from being finished, being completed, that's and really, get your catalog together. That's really hard to do. Um, then keep writing new stuff and go back to that later once you've got your stuff I mean, sorted it's out. It's hard to know when the pie is done. Well, I think that comes from, that's a good question. I think that comes from listening. I think what you have to do really is listen to what's current and what's 
being done, and then you'll know your instincts will kick in and say, "Okay, this song. I feel right about this song now. This song is completed. This song is done." You can bring it to somebody like me, or you can bring it to Taxi and get it custom. You can pitch it to Taxi and just see what the screeners are saying. That's what they're here for. Or you could, you know, you can't be objective once you've laid ten pounds of stuff into a song. Um, you can't then strip it. I was going to say strip out 40% of the song and see if the song really comes through and you needed that other 40%. You won't be able to unhear what you already put in there, but play it for somebody else with the 40% taken out and ask them, does this feel done? Yeah, but, but you, you and I both said before, don't don't play it for your mom. Right. Yeah, it's got to be somebody knowledgeable. And that's the screeners here are so good at that. And you get a co-writer. This is one of the great uses of co-writers is to, you, you know, pounce it back and forth. Don't write it to death, either one of you. Just keep bouncing it back and forth. And at a certain point, the two of you will go, yep, this feels right. This feels good. Collaborators are one of the best ways to get your speed up, and you need to do that. Um, growing your catalog, having new stuff to pitch, is extraordinarily important in keeping your career going forward. I'm telling you, when I talk to people who are working in the industry now, it's a constant you know, turning it out, turning it out. If you're not sure whether the song is done yet or not, give it a break. Walk away. I call it the fresh ears test. Walk away from it. Put it away. Don't think about it until you've forgotten how it goes. And then go back to it. Could be a couple of hours. Could be a couple of days. Could be a couple of weeks. Write some more songs and then go back to it. Go back to it with a listener's ears, your fresh ears, and play it for yourself. Always record everything before you walk away. Okay, play your recording and then say, okay, I... I, I think that part right there, make a list of things you want to change. That's too complicated. That I lost track of the melody there. Before I forget this, I just asked Bria to post forums.taxi.com, the peer-to-peer yes. -peer section of the forum. Not, yes. It's one of the yeah. greatest road testing places you will ever. And Collaboration Corner. Yep. There you so go. So go to forums, forums with an S, forums.taxi.com, the peer-to-peer -peer section virtually again every one of our successful members will tell you that not only did they give advice out in peer-to-peer -peer, but they got advice from in peer-to-peer -peer. and while many other forums and websites are kind of famous for people being like oh dude that song sucks mm. you won't get that yeah. um, these people are helpful they're knowledgeable and a great sounding board taxi's membership is the most knowledgeable songwriters that i ever ever speak to the level of knowledge here especially among people who go to the road rally is very very high exceptionally high um, and so yeah peer-to-peer -peer and the collaboration corner I was there this morning just to check it out and um, there were a couple of interesting offers on there people looking for co-writers with some you know definitely worth taking a look at their stuff so um, that's all of the that will get you writing and get you growing your catalog don't hold still okay uh, rust never sleeps um, and so you don't <laughs> thank wanna, you Neil yeah you don't want to hold still um, okay and uh, and sometimes in this business you have to run as fast as you can just to stay in the same place it is a it is difficult I mean this business is demanding but you can do it and you're here to do it that's why you're here I'm sure you know everybody who's here today I know like half of you and you're serious about what you do um, and all of these things that we're talking about today are things that I know you have come across the last one number 10 yes okay Aim your songwriting at a target. My favorite uh, uh, line that John Asher just used the other day was, he says, the cut is coming, the placement is coming, you just haven't written the song yet. <laughs> and I thought, it's just a wonderful flip in the way you think about things. 
I'm, I'm aiming for the cut and the placement. I know it's there. I just have to write the song. And if you're a taxi member, you get listings every morning. I get the listings every morning. I get my cup of tea. I sit in bed with my computer. I listen. I click on the stuff. I listen. I find lots of new artists to add to my artist list, my playlist. I find all kinds of stuff and genres that I hadn't thought of. All kinds of things right there in the morning with your cup of tea. It's right there. And start thinking, what, which ones of these listings do I have strengths in? Where are my strengths? What can I do efficiently and inexpensively? Mm -hmm. um, where can I aim? Sometimes it's for those of you who do instrumentals, who do your own tracking, take a look at the cue, at the instrumental listings. Sometimes cues are where you're going to find um, that you can get your foot in the door and start building up your income streams. Um, where, what kinds of songs uh, are used, being used in film and TV? Uh, what are music libraries looking for? It's all there in those listings. I think it's one of the most underused resources in the music business are the taxi listings. Um, even for non-taxi members, you can watch, you can read uh, those I things. see a gentleman in there from New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand. He says, I'm thinking about uh, joining taxi. Uh, you know, who was it? Oh, Walt Disney said, stop talking about it and do it. That just do it take listen to the people in the chat room they don't get paid by me but you know what you can sit there and think about it and think about it it's kind of like you see the person that could be the potential love of your life on a bus and you're thinking good point should, should i ask him or her out on a date and you don't and they walk off the bus and you never see them again you've missed an opportunity well taxi brings that person to your doorstep no matter where you live you don't need to live in la nashville or new york city we bring that dateable person to your doorstep every day all you have to do is go on a date. I never thought of taxi as a dating service, but you're right. Uh, well, you know, you're for right. 2019, I want to do something new and I'm, I'm vacillating between do I start a cult or a dating service? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one to do. <laughs> anyway, okay. um, I see that you've got a number 11, a bonus round, right? Oh, uh, don't. Yeah. Okay. A bonus round. Uh, but we got 10 minutes left for questions. All right. You know like what? Let, let's I'll tell just, you what, the, I'll tell tell you what it is because yeah. we teased them. Now we can't, we got to do it. Okay. So don't compete with the slowest car in the race. Okay, somebody said to me just the other day, and I've heard this line many, many times, which is, um, I was listening to hit songs on the radio and the, and the lyrics are just awful. Right. And they said, yes, yes, there are many songs on the charts with awful lyrics. There are a handful though with great lyrics. And those are the ones you have to compete with. Right. Okay, so Back to You, by Selena, uh, recorded by Selena Gomez, and The Heart Wants What It Wants. Those, there's two. I know you're asking, which ones do you think have the good lyrics? Okay, Dua Lipa, New Rules. Okay, and then uh, Charlie Puth, any, just about anything. He doesn't write a lot of lyrics, but what he writes is really good, especially We Don't Talk Anymore. Take a look at that one. Re not what you expect. It's really, really good. Um, the ones that have great lyrics, that's your competition. The ones with the poor lyrics, nine times out of ten, those are either artists who already have a big following, the artists themselves are the co-writers who wrote those bad lyrics, and get they can get away with it because they have a huge following. So Dua Lipa would not have broken through with the new hit, Electricity, which I think is just an awful lyric, but she would never have broken through with that. She broke through with new rules, and that's the lyric you want to Classic look at. case of an artist gains enough traction. It's like, I'm going to tell you, Mr. Label yeah. Executive, where, you know, where my next hit yeah. is. 
If you're writing in AC, take a look at, you know, look at Adele's lyrics. She's always good. Um, Those are the people you have to compete with because we're outside writers and we're trying to break in. And breaking in uh, really requires that extra... that extra push that puts you out in front of the first car in the race, the fastest car, and makes the music publisher or the music supervisor say, that's the one I want to work with. That's the song I need. If you're a C-level writer, you need to be looking at the Bs and compete with them. But once you get to become a B, then you got to compete with the As. But the people that become famous and have hits are A-pluses. That's your ultimate place that you want to be. All right, we have seven minutes left. Bria, do you have any questions saved up? I have one so far. She has Um, one saved up. Drew Richardson asks, can you elaborate on why radio is a bad place to listen to? Oh, yeah. Why I said that? Well, let me repeat the question because she's on the back of the mic. So uh, Drew Richardson wants to know why radio is a bad place to listen. It's a terrible place to listen because of the chatty DJs, the contests, the ads, the screaming loud craziness, the facts that they interrupt everything. It's a terrible environment to listen to. Uh, songs and you have to listen to a ton of songs you don't like to get to the one you do like so for all those reasons I don't have time for radio so I go over to bdsradio.com which is the Nielsen charts which is the Nielsen radio charts so I go over to take that print it out and then I put on Spotify and I just listen to all the songs and I eliminate the DJs entirely and that's how I go through the charts my favorite charts are the AAA charts Um, and the AC, Adult Contemporary Charts, because that's the area where I usually focus. Um, But you could be listening to the country. It's very simple. Um, BDS Radio doesn't have a lot of charts. They just cover radio only. If you get over into Billboard, their charts, who knows what goes into those charts anymore? The pure radio charts just come straight from BDS anyway. But everything else is, oh my God, how many streams did they get on YouTube? Well, there are a lot of reasons to listen, to watch a YouTube video that don't have anything to do with liking this song. And, um, you know, I, I can't even figure out what sales are anymore. Is it digital sales or store sales or is it what sales? So I just go for radio because radio will only play songs that will keep listeners glued because they have to from one ad to the next. Keep those listeners there. Radio sells seats at concerts which is where the real money is made. That's right. Because That's people true. are in their car, and unless they're texting while they're driving, which a lot of people do, uh, radio is the portable entertainment that, you know, oh, I like that artist. And then a year later, oh, that artist is coming to the Staples Center. I think I shall go. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? Yeah, someone asked, um, why is being a multi-genre producer bad? Ooh, um, good. can I answer this one? Uh, why is being a multi-genre producer bad? Because you want to be known for one thing to build your brand. If Taxi did what we do for artists who paint, like fine artists, and we did it for poets, and we did it for a myriad of other artist types, then if somebody walked up to you and said, what is Taxi? you'd have a hard time describing it. But because Taxi is just one thing, we introduced people who need music to people who create music, we're a matchmaker for the music industry, it's really easy. So if you are trying to break through as a producer, he or she makes great hip hop records. He or she makes great 
pop records. If he or she also did country and did folk, and you know, it's harder. There, it's not impossible. There's another reason too. Branding is a big one. Branding yeah. is a huge reason. People, are just human nature, to brand what you see and what you, you know, they they it will be difficult to convince somebody that you can do good country production and good hip hop. But there's another reason. That is that in my experience. Every single time someone has said to me, oh, I work in a lot of genres, I immediately know they are not good at any one of them. Right, they're not yeah. credible. Because if they were, they would say, I work in country and I have these, uh, I've already had these placements or I've already worked with these artists. And I would know not only that, but I would know that they probably know that one genre really deeply. And genres are deep. If you are working in a lot of genres, you're probably not going deep into any one of them, which means you don't understand that genre very well, and you don't, and you can't be creative in it because you don't understand what the limitations are and where it is right now and what's trending and who's hot right now. It's a tremendous uh, studying genres takes some time. So my recommendation is pick a genre that you like and go deeply into it and find out how deep it goes. Then when you move on to the next genre, you'll have an idea of just how deep genres go. Um, if you want to work cross genres, I will, I recommend that you work with a co-writer who knows that other genre really well. Because it always shows when somebody's being a dilettante in a bunch of genres, it shows really quickly um, to anybody who's knowledgeable in the business. They're going to recognize that that's a shallow understanding of that genre. Before we go any further, and we've only got three and a half or two and a half minutes left, Robbie, you made a great comment about Taxi Change Your Life You Wish You'd Joined years ago. Scroll up, find that quote, and send me a really great, like three great photographs of yourself. I'm going to change some of the photographs on the homepage of our website, and you just earned yourself a Yay, slot for 2019. Hooray. Thank you. That, That's Robbie uh, Hancock? Yeah, it yeah. is. Great guy. Really, he did an interview with me for a passenger profile. Just spectacularly great information. Yeah. So, yeah. thank you for that really nice quote. And, uh, and he's been successful. Be with, he's been successful with Taxi. He Absolutely, has. he's got income streams coming in, um, and I watched him do it. So, uh, it's everything he says about it is true. Uh, one more question, Bria, please. Um, uh, Bev Niven asks. I have six Christmas songs. How can I figure out where and the best way to pitch them for next year? Bev Niven wants to know, she has Chris, six Christmas songs. What's the best way to figure out where to pitch them? Honestly, just watch the taxi listing starting in July. Uh, because generally speaking, although we always see a late flurry of people asking for Christmas music, generally speaking, around July, that's when the publishers start amassing folders of Christmas songs, files of Christmas songs that they can pitch when productions are being made for Christmas release. Typically around September, October is when they're doing post-production and that's when they need the stuff. Um, yeah, the best thing yeah. you can do is, is get them in as many different production music libraries as you can. It's do. a great idea that you have six. I really like to hear that. The other thing is this course, this is the time of year to be writing Christmas songs. Because you're inspired. Because you're inspired. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the details, the emotional details of the holidays are all around you right now. So the next time you sit down to dinner with your family, watch and listen and make notes. And, and when you're sitting around the tree or, you know, 
uh, having a meal or partying, you make you you as a songwriter you keep your songwriter hat on because this is the time of year when you get the depth that you need in order to write a song that has um that extra not shallow but that extra depth that you need that a song like for example chestnuts roasting on an open fire if if you're on my newsletter you're going to get a newsletter tomorrow morning it's scheduled to go out which is your holiday songwriting toolkit um, if you want to sign up for my newsletter, okay, if I give my website, you can go over to mysongcoach.com and uh, sign up for my newsletter there and you will get it tomorrow morning. It's scheduled to go out around 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And that's going to have your holiday songwriting toolkit. And that's exactly what it's going to tell you to do and also give you some contemporary, some relatively recent holiday songs to take a look at. You just inspired me to write a song for carolers called <gasps> Eggnognognoggin at your door. <laughs> <laughs> Can I beat my head on your desk now? Sure. <laughs> That's my level of songwriting. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, pot of boom. <laughs> yeah. On that note, let's wrap this up. Seriously, um, for those of you who already have this book, which is a classic, which, by the way, this one's on sale on Amazon. I checked over oh, the weekend. Good. Yeah, it's on sale right now. Wow. Excellent. Look at how that lighting changes. Whoa. That's weird. Um, <laughs> this one is on sale. This one is not because they consider it so extraordinarily valuable that they're not going to let you save a couple of bucks on Amazon. But if you are already a pretty good songwriter and you want to really understand the difference between writing for radio and film and TV, that's the one right there. Uh, and with that, we will bid you adieu. Robin, thank you very much. Have a very Merry thank Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and thanks to all of you for being there. And, and it's been a pleasure, a total pleasure. Thank you, guys. Robbie, thanks again for that quote. Scott Hansen, thanks for showing up, dude. I missed you. <laughs> Where the hell is the band? There's the band now. We will see you. Very sure. Yep. Next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Bye, you guys. <laughs>